Hello, Tim Williams here. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to one of our archived episodes from our early days of launching the show. Although I love the overall content of these episodes, I will say the recording quality was not always the best as the show was still evolving and I was learning to record and edit pretty much on the fly. I believe the sound quality and editing has improved from season to season, so be sure to check out more great episodes in our more recent seasons. I hope you enjoy this episode and that it rekindles all those warm and fuzzy nostalgic feels. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Frantically, I tried to remember what it was I wanted. I was blowing it, blowing it. Come on, kid. How about a nice uh, football? 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 What's a football? (laughs) With unconscious will, my voice squeaked out. Football. Okay, get him out of here. A football? Oh, no. What was I doing? Wake up, stupid. Wake up. No. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, and I'm your host for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, where we talk about all the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics, to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what flick we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. There's no denying that this film has become a holiday tradition for many families around the world. Since the film's release, it's become regarded as a Christmas classic, and the original house shown in the movie has even been transformed into a tourist-attracting museum. Many families watch it every year around the holiday season, while basic cable TV staple TBS plays it continuously for 24 hours at least once a year. Between the captivating storytelling, quirky characters, and overall filming styles, It has stood out compared to several other similarly styled Christmas movies over the years. So take a sip of your Ovaltine, then grab your Little Orphan Annie secret decoder ring and your Red Ryder BB gun as Ron West and I go back to 1940-esque Illinois with Ralphie, Randy, Mother, and the Old Man to discuss a Christmas story on this episode of the 80s flick flashback. But be careful, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. So as we're discussing today... A Christmas Story from 1983, and I've got my good friend, Mr. Ron West, back with us. Say hello, Ron. Very excited to be here. 
today, Tim, uh, to be with you for one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> uh, as Ron and I had discussed previously, um, I, I I remember seeing this movie as a kid, and I remember enjoying it as a kid. But as we discussed, like I guess it was late, uh, maybe like mid to mid nineties when TBS bought the rights to A Christmas Story and began to play it so frequently over the holidays, it just began to kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. But just I guess it just over being overkilled or being shown so much that I, just, I started to not like it as much as I did as a kid. So I had not watched it for many, many, many years, at least not from beginning to end. So um, I went into it this time to watch it and say, I want to watch it kind of with fresh eyes. And I will admit that it was much better than I remembered. And I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's still not my all time favorite Christmas movie, but it moved up higher on the list for me. So, well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, less of a black mark on your character as a, <laughs> as a man uh, that, it, that it moved up. I remember as a child, as a youth, mm-hmm. this this movie coming out, there wasn't a lot of buzz about, no, about no. this movie. Uh, but buzz built about it once it got into the movie theater. And I remember uh, the little theater in West Virginia, which was about an hour from my house. Right. I grew up in Gary, West Virginia. This, the movie theater was in Bluefield. And uh, it had come out right before Thanksgiving, and before the school went on Christmas break, some kids had been to see it. Okay. And they started coming back to school saying, oh, this movie's great, this movie's funny, this mm-hmm. movie's... You know, and back then, back in the early 80s, uh, this will be shocking to uh, some people listening to this, uh, generally didn't buy Christmas gifts uh, in October right? In November. Right. You know, so once we went in on Christmas break, we would make some sojourns to the mall again it was an hour away to go to a mall or mm-hmm. something so if my mom and dad were doing some christmas shopping what's a great thing to do with the kids <laughs> hey that movie theater on the other end of the mall right see a movie. right so uh what happened was i was at the mall and i think a, a friend of mine had went with me and then uh while we we're walking through the mall we discover several other of our classmates who are there kind of doing the same thing mm-hmm. and we all said hey this movie starts in 30 minutes let's all go to the movie and so we went and saw a Christmas story and uh, kind of loved it from there. Now there's also some, uh, uh, some, some other reasons to, to love the movie. One of my best friends growing up, a guy named Kurt and his little brother, Kevin, this, this Ralphie and his little brother are <laughs> Kurt and Kevin. They, that, that, that is them. I they even look kind of similar. Oh and the age difference is about the same. Wow. Okay. Just, um, which I guess would, you know, probably make me flick sadly if uh, <laughs> you know you ever stuck uh, your you ever stuck your tongue to a a, a frozen flagpole i never did that i was never one that had to <laughs> yeah but i dare you okay right you can eight eight dog dare me not, you know how that works for me right right um but uh uh and then of course when the when home video starts to come out and you can rent this movie uh the movie was always rented in that little town and like you said, it wasn't really wasn't a cultural phenomenon until TBS took it over, started right. running it twenty four hours, and that's when you started to see leg lamp tree ornaments right. and you right. know bunny rabbit costumes, <laughs> yeah. pink and, and things of that nature. And so I think it added a lot more fans, but it also made you know 
you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Right. Like some people just like, I'm so sick of seeing this. I don't <laughs> want to uh, see or hear about it anymore. Right. Uh, so I think it added fans, but it drove some, some people away. Uh, mm. But um, I have, I have a leg lamp here at the house. I have, um, I've read uh, several of Gene Shepard, the author and the mm-hmm. narrator of the, movie, of the short stories. Right. Uh, several of his of his uh, writings, which are which are really good, and, and, and the same kind of tone uh, uh, of the movie. And this movie, uh, you probably got to talk about it some later, pulls from several of his yeah. different stories, not right. just one. The one that's most credited to is uh, uh, um, "What in God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash." Right. But there's several different short stories there that it, I, I, I remember that it pulled from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Um, yeah, definitely one of my favorites. There, there's probably, I don't know, I'd say maybe we, we were just having this conversation. My wife, my daughter's home from college, and me and my wife and daughter, every night we've been picking a different Christmas movie to watch. Each We rotate. Tonight's my <laughs> night. Um, and so uh, uh, we've been picking a different one. We've been trying to save more of the Like, no one's wanted to pick Elf yet. We'll get a little closer to Christmas Day, or day. before Christmas. We'll right. pick Elf and right. watch it. My daughter really dislikes It's a Wonderful Life, so I'll... <laughs> Wait, I don't. I've never really considered that a Christmas movie. Anywhere I, I usually watch it between Christmas and New Year's. Right. The finale of that movie is the singing of Old Lang Syne, which is always you know even though it's set at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we watched Die Hard a couple of nights ago, and uh, I picked that one. And then uh, last night we watched the Christmas Chronicles two. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. My wife, my wife wanted to watch it. Such a cute little movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what. My daughter picked two nights ago uh, off the top of my head, but I thought it was Die Hard, um, or was that before that? Yeah, Die Hard was me, and then it was oh, okay. Sydney. The last night was Denise. The uh, but my point was there were like five movies that I, I watch every year. Elf, mm-hmm. I watch every year. Uh, Christmas Story is is one of those five. I'll watch it in its entirety. In fact, mm-hmm. I'll put the DVD in, so I have to worry about the, the commercials. Commercials, right? Uh, but it's definitely one of the top five I watch every year. I am not a fan of Christmas Vacation. Uh, which I have a which, hard time. Which breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Well, and my my only statement to that that I will say to you is a couple of guys that that I work with that would agree with you is uh, Christmas Vacation is so good. Why is it not aired twenty four hours a day on any station? Because it won't get the ratings that Christmas Story makes. It won't get the advertising dollars. Those stations don't have favorite movies. They have favorite dollars that they like. And there's only one that brings in that money year after year after year after year. And it's not Christmas vacation. Whatever. That's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> who, who wants facts mixed in? No, no. Look, what's our favorite movie? look, the, the, what I, in the research I did, TBS did it as a publicity stunt. They did it just to see what would happen. And the reason that it, it, it became such a big deal is why they do it every year. Nobody else has done it just because it's already been done. So they figured why well, copy what somebody else did almost on a dare because they didn't think it was really going to be um, that successful. But it has been successful and it continues to be. Once again, but I can understand the appeal of a Christmas story over Christmas Vacation. Um, but when I look at the two movies together, I I have watched Christmas Vacation multiple, multiple, multiple times and always enjoyed it. I can't say the same for a Christmas story. But once again, it has moved closer up to the top of the list for me. But I will also say that because Elf now has become the new movie that gets played over and over and over again, I, I have not watched that one for a couple of years for that same reason because I, I don't want it to lose its 
magic or it's you know the appeal of it by being it being overkilled for me so um, but we're I plan on watching that one this year I haven't watched it in its entirety for probably like two or three years so um, and then after going to see the stage production a couple of weeks ago uh, I'm really I'm looking forward to seeing it again as well so yeah we always do a white Christmas as well okay the old, uh, the old musical that's another uh, standard for us that we we enjoy and watch every year Danny Kay and uh, mm-hmm and the old, the old uh, song and dance. Yeah, my wife loves old movies like that, so I'll probably leave that for her on her next go around of the favorite movies. I won't pick that tonight. I'll leave it for her. Right now, I know this is we're totally off topic with eighties flick flashback, but have you watched <laughs> Holiday Inn? Because that's the initial first singing of White Christmas. So, right, yeah, yeah. That we actually talked about that last night, and my wife because I mentioned that to her as a possibility to watch. Mm-hmm. And she said she couldn't remember Holiday Inn. And as I, as I explained it uh, a little more, because uh, that's, that's Fred Astaire and uh, I is think, he in that? He's one of the... I think so. Um, as I explained it a little more than she remembered. But we haven't watched that one nearly as much as we have uh, White Christmas. Gotcha. I think I've only seen both of those once, like all the way through. And that's been several, several years ago. So uh might be good to pull out this year. So. Well, we, we know why you, you have, don't, seen don't start with it. <laughs> don't start spreading lies on the podcast, Ron. Don't You're anti-musical. I am not uh, anti-musical. Uh, who went to see Elf the Musical and who didn't? Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> who, who doesn't leave his house other than to go to work at a grocery store, sir? Me. All right, so, so you told us when you saw Christmas Story for the first time. Um, I did not see it in the theater. Um, this is one, as I mentioned before on the podcast, we had cable, we had HBO uh, cable when I was young. I remember seeing most of the most of the '80s movies uh, like this. I really saw on cable. I remember when this came on HBO. So it must have been a year after it came out. So 1984. So I'd have just just turned ten. And so and back then on HBO, they only showed PG and G movies during the day. Like they would not show any R-rated movies until uh, you know I guess prime time or eight nine o'clock or later. So of course the constant rotation, especially back then when they didn't have the rights to so many films, they would just play the same movies over and over again. So I'm, I remember watching this several times on HBO as a kid. And, uh, so I didn't really get much into it, uh, on home video. And I guess probably because I'm sure HBO probably played it every Christmas uh, around that. They bring it back up around, around the same time every year. So, um, but, uh, but as I said, I haven't watched it for, it's probably been at least, 20 years since I watched it from beginning to end before I watched it yesterday for the podcast. Well, I watched 80% of it last night, actually fell asleep and then finished it this morning, but it was late. I started it too late. So, uh, and also, yeah, it it just, yeah, but I enjoyed it. It still made me laugh. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it and I'm going to refrain from saying anything else. Let's move along, sir. (laughs) But you you did not rewatch it for the podcast because you've seen it so many times. Yeah, I, I, this is not really one I, I have to rewatch, but I will watch. I'll watch it in its entirety. Right. Uh, next week, um, I will not watch Christmas Vacation in its entirety next week. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I ever have. Oh uh, man, that just okay. All, all at one setting. I've seen the entire movie, but all at one setting. I yeah. just I can't do it. You'll be my guest co- co-host next year when we do <laughs> Christmas Vacation. I'll make sure you watch no, it. On the- I will not. <laughs> Well, I, I will. My part will be very short. Uh, watched it because you made me for the podcast. Uh, it sucks. And uh, feel free to say whatever you want to say now for the next hour. 
All right, let's move into the story origin of A Christmas Story. Uh, thanks, Ron, for being a part of this podcast. <laughs> so, as Ron mentioned, the screenplay for A Christmas Story is based on material from author Gene Shepard's collection of short stories, and God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. Three of the semi-autobiographical short stories on which the film is based were originally published in Playboy magazine between 1964 and 1966. Shepard later read Duel in the Snow, or Red Rider Nails the Cleveland Street Kid, and told the otherwise unpublished story Flick's Tongue on his WOR radio talk show, as can be heard in one of the DVD extras. Bob Clark, who ended up directing the movie, states on the DVD commentary that he became interested in Shepard's work when he heard Flick's Tongue on the radio in 1968. Um, additional source material for the film, according to Clark, came from unpublished anecdotes that Shepard told live audiences while he was on the college circuit. So uh, Shepard wrote the film in an adaptation with Bob Clark and Lee Brown. Several subplots are, I'm sorry, several subplots are incorporated into the body of the film based on other separate short stories by Shepard, as Ron mentioned. Uh, Shepard provides the film's narration from the perspective of an adult, Ralphie, a narrative style later used in the dramedy television series The Wonder Years. And we'll talk a little bit about that towards the end. Shepard, Brown, and Clark all have cameo appearances in the film. Shepard plays the man who directs Ralphie and Randy to the back of the Santa line in the department store. Brown, Shepard's wife in real life, plays the woman in the Santa line with Shepard. Clark plays Swede, the neighbor and the old man talks to outside during the leg lamp scene. What's interesting, I thought this was interesting. You probably knew this already. Uh, the movie might not have actually been made had it not been for another decidedly less reputable comedic creature. <laughs> I do know this. What movie is it? Porky's. <laughs> That's right. One of the most <laughs> beloved holiday movies largely owes its existence to an infamous, un, uh, unashamedly crude teen comedy. In the late 1960s, a Christmas story director, Bob Clark, was driving to a date's house when he happened upon a broadcast of Gene Shepard's recollections of growing up in Indiana in the late 30s and early 40s. Clark wound up driving around the block for almost an hour, glued to the radio until the program was over. He said, my date was not very happy, but he knew right away he wanted to make a movie out of the stories, many of which first appeared in Playboy magazine, as I said already. Clark's adaptation, however, didn't happen overnight. At the time, he was a journeyman director who specialized in low-budget B-movies. For years, Clark tried to find a studio to finance the film, but none were interested. Nevertheless, Clark held on to his ambition to bring Shepard's stories to the screen, and in 1981, he directed Porky's, which became a hit at the box office. Suddenly, he had some clout to bargain with. In the wake of that of the hit, the studio wanted a sequel to Porky's. Clark agreed to make a sequel only if the studio agreed to let him do a Christmas story first. So he went from Porky's to a Christmas story. What a what a journey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and Porky's is definitely not a movie that holds up well in uh, uh, 2020. It, you would be hard-pressed to find it anywhere on any streaming service. Oh, I actually yeah. looked. Did some looking over there. A very, very popular movie. Right. Uh, but And a movie that people have fond memories of. Uh, but I had watched it probably like seven years ago, I would guess. Okay. And then, like, halfway through it, you're like, mm, yeah, this is. <laughs> it's kind of like Revenge of the Nerds, where you have such fond memories of it. And then if you watch it again, you're like, oh, the moral of the story is rape. Okay. Right. No, that's not. That's, yeah. Doesn't hold up well. Uh, but yeah, I, I knew that he had made that and carried some favor uh, with the studio, so he was able to get this movie done. Uh, I also think it's it's worth noting that Gene Shepard as the narrator, you know, it, obviously a different time mm -hmm. and, and era than, than obviously even that we're used to, where right. there's a lot of radio uh, productions and oh, voice yeah. work and yeah. things. 
but he was known for that and for telling his stories. And you can tell from just listening to the narration of this. I mean, yeah. he has that that voice and that, right. that tone, and and you know, there's an art to that that not everyone could do. And uh, it probably helps, you know, when you're doing your own work as well. Oh you yeah, know of course. Where to place the pauses, and, yeah, uh, uh, and, and things. Um, and I think I read somewhere that a lot of the stories that he did on the radio were improvised. Like he didn't have them written down ahead of time. He was just kind of, it's just a natural storyteller to be able to kind of weave these interesting stories from things out of his life that I'm sure he embellished or added different elements to, to make it even more entertaining. So, uh, but yeah, I agree. I think it's fantastic to uh, having to remind myself that that's him as the narrator, uh, it, it makes it even more enjoyable because I'm like it. It he there. You can tell there's a love to it. He's not just sure. reading words on a page. I mean, that's sure. somewhat his life story. So it 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 adds it adds some heart to it that you probably would you wouldn't get from just somebody uh, you know a great quote unquote voice actor that came in just do a voiceover. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about casting. So in the DVD commentary, director Bob Clark mentions that Jack Nicholson was considered for the role of the old man. <laughs> Clark expresses gratitude that he ended up with Darren McGavin instead, who later appeared in several other Clark films and in Christmas Vacation. He cast Melinda Dillon on the basis of her similar role in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Some 8,000 actors auditioned for the role of Ralphie. Uh, Clark later recalled of Peter Billingsley, who was already a successful actor in commercials and from co-hosting the TV series Real People. Clark initially wanted him for the role, but decided he was too obvious a choice and auditioned many other young actors before realizing that Billingsley, before realizing that Billingsley was the right choice after all, and do you uh, remember the, the uh, most famous commercial that Peter Billingsley is connected with? I know he was in Hershey's commercials. Messy Marvin. Yeah. So Messy Marvin and the Hershey's uh, um, Hershey syrup chocolate milk right. commercials. Yeah, and I, I I I think I remember him from Real People. I think I remember that show. I remember that's incredible more like i remember that show uh but i think i remember real people but I, it's very fuzzy in my in my brain so we we watched both in my in my family in fact i had written a little poem to one of the people on uh real people i was hoping would get read on the oh, wow. show when okay. i was young uh, skip stevenson was one of the hosts on there uh i believe sarah purcell uh, oh was yeah one on real yeah. people as well because that's incredible was uh, uh fran tarkenton fran tarkenton and uh I can't remember the lady's name, but we we used to watch both. So I, I knew Peter Billingsley from yeah. Real People as well. Um, you know, he had done the commercials first, and then mm-hmm. Real People, and then uh, again that was part of the appeal of uh, uh, Christmas Story. Was we were all also probably right around Ralphie's age yeah. when that movie yeah. comes out uh, in the early eighties. Yeah, I think uh, it might be in the notes later on, but I think Ralphie's supposed to be I think nine going on ten, but. Charles Billings was actually 12 when he filmed it, so he was a few years older, but he still fit that that age age range. So um, his little brother, um, Randy, was played by Ian Petrella, who was cast immediately before filming began. Uh, Teddy Moore, who played the teacher, had previously appeared in Clark's film Murder by Decree and was the only on-screen character from A Christmas Story who was played by the same actor in the sequel, My Summer Story, which we'll talk about much later. Uh, not very long, though. We, we don't have to. Yeah, we really don't, so... Uh, Jeff Gillen was an old friend of Clark's who had been in one of his earliest films. The schoolyard bully Scott Farkas, who played was played by Zach Ward, now an actor, writer, and director, who had actually been bullied himself while in elementary school. 
In 2017, he said he was surprised at the impact his role had on over the years. He said, I saw I was ranked as Chris, as Christmas villains go higher than the Grinch. That's amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> Scott Farkas yeah, he, is um, pretty crazy. If you've seen him on anything, I, there was a show that he was on uh, a few years back. Like he's, you know, on that show, he's older in the movie. Yeah. But he's playing a guy that's obviously bigger than the other kids. And then, of course, you know how that works in real life. He doesn't turn out to be a very big guy. <laughs> yeah. So he's actually a smaller kind of adult, even though he was this big looming figure uh, in the movie as a, as a uh, as a villain. But the, one of the things that I did not know until doing some of the reading for, for this podcast was that the teacher, I believe you said right. her name was uh, Tita Morton, yeah. that she was pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they could not show her as pregnant, so instead they just beefed her up with other clothes right. to just make her look very stout. Yeah. This <laughs> is the way they put it. Yeah. So that and I never noticed that she was pregnant. I, no. I did not all the times I've seen it, uh, and now it'll make me look at it a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. And they said in, in the forties, uh, if you were pregnant you were not allowed to teach the school children because they were afraid that it would cause the children to think of their teacher uh doing the things that make babies. So uh <laughs> <laughs> which I'm like, as a 10-year-old, I'm sure that was the furthest thing from my mind. But anyway, so uh, moving on. <laughs> uh, wow. I, I, didn't, I didn't write him down in this one, but the, the person that played Flick, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head, uh, but as I was watching it, I was like, I know he was in something else, and then I remembered he had actually made his film de- debut a year earlier in The Toy with Richard Pryor, and right. so, uh, uh, but I don't think he did much after this uh either so he did it i know he did another movie the name is going to escape me where, he, where he's one of the leads where it's kind of like a farm consortium okay where him and some other kids around his age kind of end up taking on the you know the big mean adult okay whatever one of those type films uh, yeah however i'll also say this i was a little concerned there for a second when you say you recognized him from somewhere else because i don't know how much other what other research you've done on that He's the one person that, uh, like, going into adulthood really fell on hard times. Oh, okay, no, I didn't And know as that. actors and actresses do in hard times, there's a certain type of film oh, that okay. they tend to go to geared towards adults. Gotcha. And he, Flick, went down that road. Oh, okay, I did not know that. Uh, which I, I remember seeing, like, a TMZ story uh, some years ago where he, gotcha. they were interviewing him about that. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if Schwartz ever ended up... Uh, doing anything else uh Rappi's other little friend mm, no i don't think so i think i read that he and i didn't put in the notes i don't think he was originally cast or even was supposed to have that much speaking roles i think he was just a kid that lived in the area that one of the the casting director met and just as like he was like one of the extras and they just kind of put him in in the in the movie as like an oh. added character so uh and because they named they named him schwartz because the the actor named that played flick his last name was Schwartz, so they just gave him. Yeah, so I think that was how that that went. So okay, okay, interesting. So my name is Laramie Wells, and I host a podcast called Moving Panels. On Moving Panels, we discuss movies and television shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and a wide range of guest hosts as we discuss the hits like Logan and The Dark Knight, as well as clear misses like X-Men Origins, Wolverine, and Green Lantern. New episodes drop every other Friday, and you can find us wherever you download your podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and we'll see you on the other side of the page. So 
So anything about the locations, uh, the film is set in Homan, Indiana. I think I said Illinois earlier, but it, well, once again, it's near Chicago. It's a fictionalized version of Shepard's hometown of Hammond near Chicago. The name is derived from Homan Avenue, a major street in downtown Hammond. Local references in the film include Warren G. Harding Elementary School in Cleveland Street, where Shepard spent his childhood. Other local references include mention of a person swallowing a yo-yo in nearby Griffith, the old man being one of the fiercest furnace lighters in northern Indiana, and that his obscenities were hanging in space over Lake Michigan. A mention of the Indianapolis 500 and the line to Santa Claus stretching all the way to Terre Haute. The old man is also revealed to be a fan of the Bears, whom he jokingly calls the Chicago Chipmunks, and the White Sox, consistent with living in northwest Indiana. In commemoration of the setting, the city of Hammond holds an annual exhibit. Exi- nah. The city of Hammond holds an annual exhibit regarding the film in November and December, including a statue recreating the scene where Ralphie's friend Flick freezes his tongue to a flagpole. So it said director Bob Clark reportedly sent scouts to 20 cities before selecting Cleveland, Ohio, for the exterior filming. Cleveland was chosen because of Higby's department store in downtown Cleveland. Since Higby's was exclusive to Northeast Ohio, the department store referred to in Shepard's book and the film is most likely Goldblatt's, located in downtown Hammond, with the Camland Chinese restaurant three doors down on Sibley Avenue. Until they connected with Higby's, location scouts had been unsuccessful in finding a department store that was willing to be a part of the film. Higby's vice president, Bruce Campbell, agreed to take part in the project on the condition he be allowed to edit the script for cursing. Ultimately, Higby's was the stage for the three scenes in the film which are the opening scene where Ralphie first spies the Red Ryder BB gun in the store's Christmas window display. Higby's was known for its elaborate child-centered Christmas themes and decorations, with Santa as a centerpiece. It was also the parade scene filmed just outside Higby's on Public Square at 3 o'clock in the morning. The parade was filmed at night because during the daytime, the 1960s Erie View Tower and Federal Building were visible from the Public Square, as was the BP Tower, which was under construction at the time. Ralphie and Randy's visit to see Santa, which was filmed inside Higby's, the store kept the Santa slide that was made for the film and used it for several years after the film's release. Higby's eventually became Dillard's in 1992 and closed permanently in 2002. In addition to the scenes involving Higby's, the exterior shots and select interior shots where Ralphie lived, including the opening of the leg lamp of the house and the neighborhood, were filmed in the Tremont section of Cleveland's west side. The house used as the Parker home in these scenes has been restored, reconfigured inside to match the soundstage interiors, and opened to the public as a Christmas story house. Appropriately, the fictional boyhood home of Ralphie Parker is on Cleveland Street, the name of the actual street where Shepard grew up. Several other locations were used. The school scenes were shot at Victoria School in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. The Christmas tree purchasing scene was filmed in Toronto, Ontario, as was the soundstage filming the interior shots of the Parker home. The I didn't say fudge scene was filmed at the foot of Cherry Street in Toronto. Several lake freighters are visible in the background spending the winter at Toronto's port, which lends authenticity to the time of the year when the film was produced. Uh, Much of the snow in the film is artificial. It was a rather warm winter in Cleveland that year, so when production began, the crew had to generate white stuff for the parade sequence. They used a mixture of potato flakes, shredded vinyl, firefighters foam, and a wind machine to make it quote-unquote snow. When production moved up north to Canada, the crew ran into a similar problem. A dearth of snow almost caused the the flagpole scene to be delayed when on the last day of filming at the school, a cold front moved in and brought snow and sub-zero temperatures. So it was literally cold enough for Flick to get his tongue stuck. 
even though that's not how his tongue got stuck. No. So, the, uh, uh, go ahead. The, I, I do know the guy the, uh, that bought the house that was filmed in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, he bought that house for $150,000 and then spent another $500,000 restoring it to make it exactly the same and purchased the house next door, and that's the gift shop. Yeah. Uh, for for the thing, so that that's that's you're six hundred fifty thousand dollars in. Uh, it's okay to be a big fan of something, <laughs> but uh, you better be independently wealthy. Uh, you know, I, I'm. It's going to be a while before you're recouping. Yeah, uh, recouping those that investment. I think. Well, I think he. I think I read that it was listed for seventy five thousand, and he w- he was in San Diego or San Francisco, in California. So he bought it on off eBay, sight unseen. Like he had not, he did not walk into it to see what it, you know, structurally how sound it was. He just knew that was the that was the house they filmed the movie in, and so he did a bid of one hundred fifty thousand dollars to ensure that he would win. Like he he went that much over the asking price. So, uh, but it wasn't even a two story house. He had they had to create it that way. So yeah, that's 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 its own interesting story. So, but some of the as you'll yeah. see in the show notes. Some of the uh, some of the things uh, in my notes I actually pulled from that website. They got a pretty good um, pretty good website with some good stuff on there. So, all right, well, let's talk about favorite scenes. I'm sure you have plenty, so I'll let you go first. Well, well we've, we've touched on a couple. Well, yeah. One is the uh, you know obviously the classic uh, tongue getting stuck to the pole, right? Of course, uh, which in reality is uh, basically a, a suction cup, yeah. you know, vacuum type of system. There's a hole in the pole that right. is stuck there, and it's a suction. Too, but that's how they how they actually did it. But it's it's just iconic. My wife and I say that year round. Like if one of us is walking off from the other one in the store, the other one will go, "Don't leave me off! You don't leave me!" <laughs> and the other one will say, "But the bell rang." The bell rang. Yeah. Um, yeah. And keep and keep walking. Uh, so that is a is obviously a favorite uh, scene. Yeah. The uh, the little brother falling down and and not being able to get up. I can't, I can't get, get up. up. I can't get up. Always makes me makes me chuckle. Uh, and then the, uh, uh, the the but I didn't say fudge. Right. Right. Because every child learns to curse. Those who do learn <laughs> to curse from their father. And at no point do they ever say. Oh, I learned I that from you. Right. Remember the old drug commercial where the, yeah. the father's yeah. yelling at the son? Where did you learn to do this stuff? I learned it from you. You know, just like, oh. you know yeah. and just like this, and when it happens, so where, where did you learn these words? Mm-hmm. Like, he cannot say to his mom, right. I learned it from dad. Right. Um, right. And so he throws one of his friends under the bus, mm-hmm. uh, which he could have just picked somebody he didn't like at school. He didn't have to pick a <laughs> friend. Uh, I, well, even as a child, when I watched it, I was right. like, don't not your friend. Right, you right. Know, it's not going to go. Else. It's not going to go over very well the next day when you see him at school. Like, why did you tell him yeah. I said that? So, uh, yeah, yeah. He did take the smallest of, the, of his two <laughs> friends. Yeah. So he was less concerned about getting beat up. I think true from Schwartz than from Flick, who was about the same size uh, right. uh, as he was. The uh, but uh, and then the other scene that has just always made me chuckle. It'll make me chuckle this year is when uh, when the teacher is asking the class if anyone has seen Flick. Oh, and yeah. they're all just like, nope, mm-hmm. nope. And, and Ralphie's inner monologue is running, flick, flick who? Yeah. <laughs> and, and the, but there's a part of that scene where, where she's kind of talking to Ralphie, but on the, on the side corner, you can see Schwartz. Uh-huh. And Schwartz just has this angelic grin, almost <laughs> like the batting of an eye. Right. Like, like he's the perfect little 
innocent yeah. angel. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that was like on purpose or, mm. but that just always, um, just no guilt whatsoever. Right. I didn't say anything. What did it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't do anything. Uh, so those are my favorite scenes. How about you? Yeah. Well, going back to the, I think we have some of the same ones. Um, the, the flagpole scene, um, that was the first time ever hearing the double dog and triple dog dare you, which of course has been reiterated on playgrounds for decades now. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think I'd heard double dog dare before that, but triple dog dare was like, you can triple dog dare someone. Like I remember thinking that as a kid. So, uh, that's iconic for me. Um, and then, uh, what was the second one you said? I was trying to keep track. Uh, the first one was the oh, uh, flagpole. The flagpole. was Ralphie. Oh, not Ralphie. Uh, Randy His getting mother. stuck, getting stuck in the. Yeah, uh, I always laughed at that scene when the mom is putting, trying to put all the, you know, the the fifteen layers of clothing on him, trying to stuff the boots on, and then he's standing there, and she's like, "What's the matter? I can't put down my arms." And then she pushes his hands. Yeah, he pushes his arms out, and he, they fly by. Up. I mean, that that is hilarious. Great sight sight gag uh, comedy gold. Um, and that is how you how you felt as a yeah. child. You know, but, when I was going out to play in the snow, you put on so many. We didn't have cute little snow suits like they right, had. Yeah, I had yeah, eight yeah. layers of flannel shirts that from my dad piled on top. Right, but you couldn't put your arms down. You walked yeah. around. Uh, well, what, arms, uh, what's so funny is that you see what Randy has on, but then Ralphie's just got like on a jacket and a scarf and a hat. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter what the older kid is wearing, but my baby has got to be you know 150 degrees. You know. You know, totally engulfed in, uh, and then she wraps the, you know, the scarf where only his eyes, he only can see outside. And then he's like, don't leave me, wait for me. You know, he's all running behind behind him. So that was great. Um, I think t- two scenes that I, I remembered going back and watching it that I remember being iconic for me as a kid was the uh, the scene where Ralphie finally goes off on uh, the bully, uh, Scott Farkas. And he just starts, you know, he's just wailing on him and he's, you know, saying all this stuff, which I read somewhere that everything that he said when he's hitting Farkas was word for word dialogue. Like he didn't ad lib any of that. That was all lines that he had to memorize for that part. It was scripted gibberish. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and so, but what I, what I thought was so great, even as a kid, because I think I've been in that situation where you just, you have this moment of rage and you're just kind of like letting it all out. And then when his mom comes and he just like breaks down and starts crying, like, what have I done? Oh, mommy, please help me. And uh, that so that scene always, always gets me. And then, I, you know, she's putting the, the towel on the back of his neck and trying to get him to calm down. And we, you know, go back when he goes back home. So and then him being afraid of his dad being upset with him that he got into a fight and he realizes, oh, it's it's OK. My mom you know, looked out for me. So. Um, that scene has, has been big for me. And then the one scene that I'd kind of forgotten about until I was watching it. And once again, this kind of goes back to my childhood. But when uh, Ralphie is waiting in line to see Santa and he actually gets up to Santa and the filming switches to the first person camera where, you know, you're kind of seeing through Ralphie's eyes and Santa's all in his face and the other elf. Come on, kid, we got to go. The store's about to close. That, for some reason, freaked me out as a kid. <laughs> like... Just that being so close, you know, like, uh, I don't want to be this close to this guy. And I wasn't a big, like, I don't remember going to see Santa at the mall as a kid. Like, that was not something that we did. I mean, I knew there were there were Santa Clauses at the mall, but we never stood in line. 
we didn't get pictures taken. That just wasn't part of me growing up. So maybe this is why, because when I saw that, I was like, I don't want to be that close. I don't want to be that close to him. So I'm really okay knowing that he's in the North Pole and he'll bring me presents. I'm I'm fine. I'm fine with that. So, uh, but I did love the slide. Uh, I wish there was a slide that you could have slid down. But uh, and then the one kid in front of him with the goggles. I really like Santa. And then he gets on Santa's lap and he just starts screaming. <laughs> so, but one thing I kind of speaking of that scene. One thing I didn't understand was why were the Wizard of Oz characters running around the store on at Christmas? Are we trying to? Is it trying to say that Wizard of Oz? is associated with Christmas? Um, no, it's that, if I remember this correctly, the Wizard of Oz came out the year before this is set. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get the years correctly, so yeah. I'm just going to kind of guess, but like the Wizard of Oz came out in 1939, right. and this is set in 1940. Yeah, even though there so, are some discrepancies about the year, because some say it's 39, some say it could be as late as 41, because there's no definitive date given, but it, but it's in that kind of... Same time right. frame, but, yeah. But it's it's right when the Wizard of Oz came out, so the Wizard of Oz was just very popular. Gotcha. And so they they were characters that would have kind of been rumbling around. And yeah. They would have been, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure there were Wizard of Oz toys and yeah and things. So it was a my my guess, my thought about it always was that it's that would be the toy store mm-hmm. uh, kind of doing that to sell some Wizard of Oz merchandise. Gotcha. So that's higher the. Uh, yeah, when the when the Wicked Witch popped up and was talking to Ralphie, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't Halloween. You know, it's not like there are people dressed up for Halloween, so I didn't really un- get that. And I was like, I don't think the Wizard of Oz is a Christmas movie either to be like a Christmas character around the department store. So, but anyway, just maybe maybe you, one of our listeners knows and you, you can send me an email and explain it to me. So, um, Well, I think some of that is in Shepard's writing. And okay. again, Wizard of Oz has been set in Kansas, this being in Indiana. Yeah. You know, it's Wizard of Oz is going to be bigger there than it is in in Georgia or you know Oregon because uh, it's it's because of the setting. So going back to Ralphie didn't say fudge. The actor Peter Billingsley actually didn't say fudge either during the filming. In an interview with BuzzFeed, Billingsley explained that he had to say this bad word over and over again until they got the right take. Even though you know you don't hear him say it in the film. While people usually don't hear twelve year olds saying that word, Billingsley explained that since he had been in Hollywood at an early age. That wasn't the first time he'd heard it or even said it. <laughs> so I'm sure that that is correct. Yeah. So uh, some other scenes that, that I think are iconic as well. Of course, the leg lamp major award was based on a real lamp and illuminated knee-high logo. The style of the lamp, the leg lamp for a Christmas story was created by production designer Ruben Freed, who had never before seen or heard of a leg lamp. There were three leg lamps that were made for the movie and all were broken on set during filming. That scene didn't make a lot of sense to me as a kid. Seeing it now as an adult, it's it's much funnier. Uh, especially, you know, uh, Ralphie keeping, keeps touching the leg and running his hand up and down, up and down the leg. <sighs> so, uh, another scene when, when, he's, uh, when Ralphie has his first, I guess, uh, vision or dream sequence of... Uh, using the BB gun against Black Bart. Uh, it shows, looks like he's uh, chewing tobacco, but actually the prop manager didn't get the memo not to give that to kids. It actually gave him some Big Chief chewing tobacco. <laughs> so, but after he got sick for an hour on the set, uh, they thought it was a better idea to give him raisins to chew and make brown spit instead of real chewing tobacco. <laughs> that is wild. 
So uh, the character of Scott Farkas uh, was created specifically for the movie and never appears in the book. In the book, Grover Dill is the only bully who torments Ralphie. All right, so uh, we'll kind of start wrapping up. We've got a few things left here. Um, one of those scenes that would not make it in today's, uh, I guess, politically correct era, and that's the ending when they go to the Chinese restaurant for, for Christmas dinner. The scene contains a group of men singing Jingle Bells in a very stereotypical fashion. They also try to sing Deck the Halls. It comes off incredibly offensive. Despite that fact, the scene still happened and the actors' reactions to the singing were genuine. Bob Clark didn't tell any of them the men were going to sing during the filming. He also didn't tell uh, the actress that played the mom that the duck was going to have its head on it. So her reaction to seeing the duck with the head was completely real. So... Right. Everybody else had the real script. Yeah, and they gave her, her. They gave her a dummy they script. They gave her a fake script. Yeah. So great. Uh, once again, great. Great directing to get those those natural reactions. Uh, so did you know there were two deleted scenes for the movie? Uh, I know there was a scene that they filmed that that they they cut out, uh, which was kind of a fantasy sequence, right? With Ralphie, with the uh, Flash Gordon, and Ming the, the right. Merciless, which were also big characters at that time with Little yeah. Orphan Annie and. Uh, uh, things but i don't know the second one yeah so that so the first one you mentioned uh, with uh flash gordon and ming the merciless uh you can't find the scene online anywhere uh the christmas story museum in ohio has the script paid script pages from it as well as an image of ralphie on the planet mongo in a space suit with his bb gun but it's interesting i noticed this as i watched in the movie the end credits still have the actors and the names of ming the merciless and flash gordon in the closing oh, really? credits yes yeah, so when you watch it Watch the credits. And it's pretty high up on the credit list. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, near the end. So I thought that was interesting. So the uh, second fantasy sequence involving Bart, uh, a Bla- I'm sorry, the second fantasy sequence involving Bart Bart's men was cut from the film in favor of the backyard fantasy sequence. The deleted sequence involved Ralphie rescuing Santa from Black Bart's men while Santa is stuck in a chimney. Little brother Randy in disguise played one of Black Bart's men in the scene. His costume from the scene is on display at a Christmas story house and museum. So very interesting. Yeah. I, I did not know that one at all. Yeah, so that was new. So, I, I'm, and I don't know that I have a good reason why, but I have never liked the Black Bart scene. Oh yeah, I've never, I've never liked that. I, I just, I don't know. I don't care for that entire sequence. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be, you know, for the type of uh, those little, I guess, vignettes or. I don't know because they, they wouldn't. They didn't have TV shows back then because they were listening to the radio. If that would have been one of those, like uh, kind of like the Flash Gordon, the serials they'd play in the movie theaters before the films, like a short, um, you know, short scene or whatever. I think it's it's meant to mimic that, and so it, it's so different from everything else in the film. So uh, yeah, it it's there because he has the other fantasy sequences with the school teacher, and uh, so it makes sense that it's there. But yeah, I don't. I mean. It doesn't bother me, but it doesn't add anything to the to the film either for me. So, did you have a BB gun? I did have a BB gun. Not not at that age. I was a little older. I was probably I was probably twelve, going on thirteen before I got one. Um, and <laughs> interesting story. I got in trouble with my BB gun because I I mean I take I take it in the backyard. We we lived where there was like a hill behind us, and there really wasn't much. You know, we didn't have in a, in a subdivision where there were houses behind us. But I had a little target thing that I put on the back fence and I would try to shoot it. But I got bored with it. I wasn't I was never big into guns and stuff like that. So uh, but several years later, I still had it, but I didn't use it. it just kind of sat in my room. 
and somebody at school heard that I had one and wanted to know if he could borrow it. Me being just, you know, gullible, naive young guy that I was like, oh, sure, you know, you can play with it or whatever and let him take it. And then like two hours later, we lived on a military base. uh, Military policeman uh, showed up at the house with the kid and said that not that he was using it to hurt anybody. He was just out in an open area with it. And when he found out who he borrowed it from, it came back to my to my house. My dad answered the door, and uh, I did not have a very uh, pleasant evening after that. But uh, <laughs> when wow. I found out, so uh, so yeah, I didn't have the BB gun much longer after that. So yeah, I I got one of the Christmas after this came out. Okay, and uh, I did not get the uh, official Red Rider carbine action two hundred <laughs> shot range model air rifle with the compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. Right. Um, I got a Daisy uh, single cock right. uh, 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 BB gun, which was the standard BB gun. I think that's kind of the same uh, one I had of the time. Yeah. We actually used to play uh, a little group of people. We used to play like BB tag and uh, shoot each other with the BB guns. It was kind of like a big uh, open field, and you could run across it and shoot at each other. Right. And we we played that all the way up until the you know a few years later. The kid, uh, one kid, was the first one to get the pump action. Oh, okay. BB gun. And then he pumped it numerous times. And, and that was a different feeling <laughs> than, the, than the single cock daisy BB right, gun, which, right. which felt like a really hard pluck mm-hmm. hitting you and wasn't going to break the skin. And yeah. uh, as the first kid to get shot with the uh, pump action fell down and was writhing on the ground screaming, we were like, yep, that's it. We're done. We're not playing this anymore. That's uh, nothing. Yeah, I think... Um, I think I had cousins or other kids when I was younger. There was somebody that I knew um, had a BB that broke the skin and didn't go to the doctor. And they stood, you had that mark on the skin where the BB was. You could feel it under the skin. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, we never played that game, mainly for that reason. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about the critical response and box office. So, as you mentioned earlier, uh, this modestly budgeted little comedy opened in 1983, the week before Thanksgiving, on fewer than 900 screens. The film took in about $2 million its first weekend and doubled that Thanksgiving weekend. Solid business at the time. The movie was getting strong word-of-mouth support, but MGM hadn't counted on the movie receiving much success uh, because Christmas movies were not very successful back then and did not schedule distribution to, to more than the opening screens for the lead-up to Christmas. Thus, A Christmas Story disappeared from theaters, abruptly elbowed in the theatrical void by the bigger seasonal studio movies of the day, most notably Scarface and Christine. Now, there's two good Christmas movies for you, Scarface and Christine. Ultimately, A Christmas Story collected about $19 million at the box office. It was a good showing, but not great. And I think I did read that like there was one theater that was upset that it had got pulled, and so they actually you know, like called and sent letters to the studio and they sent the film back to that theater, like, in January of 1984 for, like, two more weeks for people to, to be able to watch it. So, so as you mentioned before, at the same time, home video and cable television were just beginning to grow in popularity, and A Christmas Story crept into the mainstream through videotape and cable broadcast. The rights to the movie were sold in 1986 to Warner Brothers by MGM as part of a 50-movie package deal. In fact, MGM practically gave the movie away when it was taught when it tossed a Christmas story into the deal in order to simply meet the 50 movie quota agreed to. The cable network TNT first aired its 12 showing the 24 hour marathon as a stunt in 1988, but popular demand turned stunt into tradition. 
The annual marathon now airing on TBS starts every Christmas Eve and attracts more than 40 million people who tune in at some point to watch. A Christmas Story is now one of the most popular holiday movies of all time, earning a place alongside It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 34th Street. All right, so Rotten Tomatoes has it at 89% on the tomato meter with an 88 audience score, and IMDb has it a little bit lower with 7.9 out of 10 with a 77 on Metacritic. So you agree with those? Well, obviously both of those are way too low. <laughs> it should be 100% rating and five stars and uh, required viewing. So I don't understand the issue. Okay, well, everyone's entitled their opinion, even if they're wrong. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm in that. I, I think I mean, 89 on tomato meter is pretty pretty good. I would still I put in like the mid mid to low 80s for me. It's still enjoyable, but it's not my favorite. We'll continue to agree to disagree, but that's what makes our friendship great. So, <laughs> things that are not so great. Let's talk about sequels and such. Oh. <laughs> a Christmas Story got a few unpopular sequels. A Summer Story, which ran in theaters under It Runs in the Family came out in 1994, and also a direct-to-video stinker called A Christmas Story 2 came out in 2012. It did, however, partly inspire a popular TV show, The Wonder Years. This becomes apparent when viewers focus on the coming-of-age theme as well as the narration used in the show. The show revolved around Kevin Arnold, played by Fred Savage, who told stories of growing up in the 60s and 70s, which is easily comparable to Ralphie telling the story about the Christmas in the 40s. Peter Billingsley even played Mickey Spiegel in the final two episodes of the show. So speaking of Peter Billingsley, as an adult, he moved from acting to producing big-budget films like Iron Man, where he made a cameo. In 1990, he met an up-and-coming actor named Vince Vaughn, who was close friends with wannabe director Jean Favreau, and the two later would collaborate on Couples Retreat, which was Billingsley's directorial debut, and The Breakup. With the exception of attending one Christmas Story reunion in 2003, Billingsley has pretty much severed his ties with the cast members, although he did serve as a producer of A Christmas Story, the musical on Broadway. Gene Shepard's estate exclusively asked Billingsley to produce because they knew his expertise would be beneficial for the adaptation. So, Which I think, I don't know if it was Fox, one of the major studios did, they did a televised version of the uh, Christmas Story musical a couple of years ago. Um, I don't know if you saw that when it came out. Um, I watched Mo. I didn't watch all of it. They added so much more to it. It ended up being like three hours long, which I thought was way, it was too bloated of a show uh, with all the musical numbers and stuff. But um, so I haven't, I haven't seen that one. What about you? I, I definitely did not watch that. I've, I've, I've watched small parts of the different sequels that you referenced for this. Right. Uh, I, I can't remember. I mean, oftentimes sequels are not good. Right. Not always the case. I mean, see Empire Strikes Back or Godfather 2. But oftentimes they are... When, when, maybe it's this. Maybe sequels are can be pretty good when they're already a plan for the sequel before you even do it in the first one. Right. When you're not planning to do it and then there's a money grab to try to do one, those are always terrible. Yeah. But I don't... Because I hold Christmas Story in such high regard, I don't know that I can think of any franchise where there's a bigger drop-off between the original and any part of any sequel or anything mm-hmm. connected to the original as a Christmas Story. They're just not good. No, nothing I've ever seen of anything having to do with that has been uh, good at all. Uh, and uh, and that's fine with me. I mean, the, some of the timeless you know, tropes of this movie from, 
you know, being asked to help your father for the first time, you yeah. know, which Robert is really excited about. And, uh, you know, the father cursing all the time and you picking up on it without either with the parents being oblivious to, to the fact that you're doing it, uh, wanting something so bad for Christmas and trying to manipulate your parents <laughs> yeah. into uh, uh, getting it for you, uh, to being told that you can't get this thing that you really want, you know, whether it's a BB gun or it's a dirt bike or it's a bow and arrow, whatever the, right, you know, right. the thing is. Little boys in particular always want things that are probably have the potential to be more harmful uh, to them uh, than they realize. And just so those timeless things are, are, you know, some of the reasons why I, you know, that just spoke to me because it was just all these truths of my childhood being played out on this movie when I watched it and when I still watch it. Uh, and everything that they've tried to do connected to it since then has just fallen tremendously short time. Right, right. Well, kind of thinking it took, I think it said it took them almost 10 years to get the script the way they thought it would work based on the, the short stories. So to put that much time and energy into something to make it great. And then it's kind of like, kind of a bad analogy, but you think about what they used to call the sophomore slump for like breakout albums of artists. They put so much energy in their debut album. They take all the best songs, all, you know, they put all this money into it and then it becomes such a big hit. Then a year later, they try to duplicate it with not as much time to write new material, you know, a quicker production, all that kind of stuff. And so it's never as good as the original because you didn't have the time to cultivate it the way you want it to. So like, I agree with you. I think this one, any sequel of this is going to be a cash grab They're, or trying to capture lightning in a bottle um, a second time, which you can't do, which I think most, I, I agree with you. Sequels that, were kind of already thought out from the beginning tend to do very well. And movies, uh, sequels are just like, oh, let's just recycle either, let's recycle the last plot with a, a few small changes and add a few new characters, or let's just try to, you know, do something different and just put the name on it and make it, you know, call it a sequel. Right. So, but uh, I haven't seen, I honestly, I didn't even know about, I heard about A Christmas Story too. I didn't know anything about my, uh, my summer story or uh, the summer story, which I guess ran as it runs in the family before then, um, which I think I read, they said that it didn't do very well because once it was finished, the, uh, the studio did not market it as a sequel because they didn't think it was going to be as good. So they kind of steered it away from people thinking it. That's why they changed the name of it to it runs in the family instead of a summer story, which would have connected it to a Christmas story. So, right. Because connecting it to it would have helped it. But you're afraid it's going to diminish the original, the, the original property. Right. So. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, we got a few more minutes. I figured it'd be a good question to ask since we, you know, we had our Halloween episode. We talked about some Halloween stories. But do you have a Christmas story or any memories from Christmas that you might want to share? Of I do. Okay. I have a Christmas present. I have a photo of me opening that present. Right. And the look on my face of <laughs> me opening that present. Uh, and it is the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> um, 
So uh, would have been probably right around seventy nine. Uh, I would guess the Star Wars had been out for a couple of wars, a couple of years. I had started to collect the you know the action uh, figures, Star Wars figures, right? And uh, I had a uh, thing an X wing fighter, but the Millennium Falcon was big. Oh yeah, yeah. It, at the time, it was the biggest. It was the biggest Star Wars, you know, yeah. toy. Oh yeah. As far as you know, actual size. Also, and, most expensive. And, <laughs> and expensive at that. At, I think I looked it up one time, and at that time, it was like thirty nine ninety five. Like you know, but you're talking about forty dollars in nineteen eighty, which would probably be more like one hundred and fifty exactly. or two hundred or something. Exactly. Now. And um, you know, which, which was a lot at at that time, especially for my family. And uh, opening, you know, tearing the paper off. They knew, I mean, it's literally the only photo I have of myself of, as a child mm-hmm. actually opening a present. So, I mean, they knew. Mom and Dad had to have known <laughs> that present right there right. is going to blow his mind. Right. We need to capture that moment mm-hmm. as he's opening. Not a bicycle. Yeah. You know, you know not a puppy. Not, not, it is a, that millennial. So, I have the actual photo of mm-hmm. me. I've opened the paper. You can see the box, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at them, and I'm I have this look of, oh, oh <laughs> you know, just right. going. And so I can, um, I remember that very vividly. I also remember this. This is probably my other really really vivid Christmas uh, memory. Uh, the the next year, mm-hmm. you know, back then, uh, you know, we didn't have uh, this thing called the internet and the Google to uh, uh, the Amazon to look up stuff. So you got the Sears catalog every year. Oh, Sears yeah. catalog comes to the house. The wish Art book. pages in the Sears catalog. These yeah. are the toys. These are the things we want. And by the time it goes through the house, you know, mom, dad, two older sisters, and me, like every other page in this catalog is folded <laughs> down and marked with a Circled, pen. yeah. Um, there was this robot in there. Not a Star Wars robot, but a little... Uh, just classic, what you little robot, the kind of shape like a person, little mm-hmm. white robot. Um, and uh, it was a remote control robot. You could set it on the floor. You could control it with you know with a little uh, wireless remote control thing, mm-hmm. make it move forward. It was also a it had a built in basically walkie talkie. Okay. So I could drive it into the next room, and then I could talk through my okay the remote control, and it would come out of the robot. And if you got for extra money, if you got this little um, cart that like connected to it, like I could drive it into the kitchen where my mom was and say, please give me a can of Sprite. And she could (laughs) set the can of Sprite in the little cart and I could drive it back to me. Right. And so I was convinced this was going to be the greatest gift in the history. I begged for this robot, begged for this robot. And this robot, I remember, again, this is the next year. $40 was big for the Mono Falcon. Right. This robot was $80. Oh, wow. I remember this very vividly. (laughs) And... They got me the robot, and I played with the thing like two times. <laughs> like, like it. For one thing, the the on the commercials and the ads and things you see that we had, of course, the seventy shag carpet. Oh yeah. So it really wasn't rolling right real well right. across. You know, it was going across hardwood floors. Yeah. And things on the so it could barely move. And then if it got more than like three feet away from you, the walkie-talkie wasn't strong enough to really, <laughs> you know, sound would come out, but you couldn't understand anyone. So it was just like, you know. So if I got to stand right next to it while I'm asking for whatever, what, what it kind of defeats the right. purpose. And I had to carry it into the kitchen anyway to get it onto the linoleum, <laughs> to, you know. 
And so then you just move on to other things. And then you're like, you know, four months later, that thing's sitting there. And your parents are like, you begged for that thing. And that, that was the most <laughs> expensive gift you've ever gotten. Right. You're never getting another gift again. You know, uh, and so I remember that being the first time. I think we all had that experience with like a breakfast cereal where you see the cartoon, the commercial, and you're like, I want that cereal. That's going to be great. And mm-hmm. then you get it and you taste it and you're like, Ugh. now I have to eat this whole box because right. <laughs> it's not good. You need some kind of chocolate type of breakfast cereal. Oh, I just remember uh, breakfast cereals that had whatever toy. I looked for whatever toy was in the breakfast cereal. I didn't care what kind of cereal it was. And then you'd get the, you'd beg your parents to buy the cereal box and then you get home you dig out the toy and then you don't eat the cereal because all you wanted was the toy anyway. I got I got a lot of trouble for that too. See, for me it was Cookie Crisp. Uh, the commercial made cookies. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, cookies for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, they, they got me Cookie Crisp and they did not taste like cookies. <laughs> and uh, and I had to go through. I couldn't get Fruity Pebbles, which were my standby. So that was one positive and one negative Christmas memory. Uh, how about you? Well, I have a question about yours. So that so you well so you got. Two things that you really wanted. One you did. One you played with. I'm sure you got a lot of uh, a lot of time with the Millennium Falcon. Oh, tons of time. <laughs> I used to have uh, strings that I would attach to different things in the living room, uh-huh. uh, or find a room that nobody was using. And so, any of the characters who who had the uh, kung fu grip who could slide down a string, okay, could come sliding oh, into yeah. the uh, into the party. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I had elaborate. Uh, sets with all my Star Wars things, probably gotcha. for far longer age-wise than I should have <laughs> been doing. Yeah. So, so both of these things did you did you ever take a print ad and slide it into your parents' magazine so they would see that's what you really wanted for Christmas, like Ralphie uh, did? I, well, I did not. Again, just the Sears catalog. Yeah, uh, it was a giant print ad, and we were allowed to mark, mark pages. That up. Yeah, and then. Uh, fold down the corner of the page so you know a page and then circle the item on that page because it could be more than one item on that page or you mark that page and they get you the wrong thing on the page you know that's (laughs) not what I wanted and so we could do uh, those things Uh, and then other than that it was just you know the commercials and things that would come up and then you would ask for uh, I saw the robot there was a commercial for the robot that would run that's what I saw first yeah and then the Sears catalog came out, and I was like, it's in my catalog! <laughs> so for me, like, the first thing I remember, like, really wanting and seeing on Christmas morning was a Spider-Man bicycle. So it was my very first bike that actually came with training wheels, and it had full, like, rubber tires. Like, it was not air tires. Like, they were actual, like, solid rubber tires. So, uh, you know, it was like a starter bike to learn how to ride the bike on. So, um, and I had that for a long time, much, much, I had it much longer than I should have. I was way too big for it by the time I got rid of it. But, um, but I remember seeing it in the store, like it was at some local store. I remember seeing all the bikes or whatever. And I was like, Ooh, that's the one I really want. I want the Spider-Man bicycle. And, uh, and it wasn't something I thought about much after that, but then come, waking up on Christmas morning and seeing that bike, you know, next to the tree or, you know, wherever I'm, I don't, wherever it was, uh, with the Christmas gifts and just like, oh my gosh, it's something that I really wanted that I got that I wasn't something I like asked for over and over again, but it was like, I mentioned it one time and then it showed up, uh, Christmas morning. So, uh, but I, I, yeah, I rode that a lot. So you mentioned that you had that bike, you rode that bike longer than you should have. So when you took that bike to your first college, 
class. <laughs> did, uh, did you chain it up outside? Of, still had the uh, training wheels. No, still had the training wheels on and everything. Like I really, <laughs> really got you know. No, I. Uh, yeah, that's that's a whole other story. We don't have time to get into uh, when when that bike finally met its demise. But um, banana seat. Uh, not quite. No, it wasn't quite that, that, and I wasn't that bad. So, but, um, but yeah, but I, the only other Christmas memory, uh, that, that I want to mention, and I thought about it while I was watching the movie, when they wake up Christmas morning and they're looking at all the gifts under the tree. Now I'll ask this question because me and Tyra had this discussion a couple of years ago, Christmas morning gifts from Santa wrapped or unwrapped? Wrapped. Okay. See, ours were never wrapped. Ours were just out. So what that means is your parents used the gift from Santa as an excuse to not wrap the gifts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So all of our stuff was already out. Me and my, it was me and my sister, and so it was always on the couch. So one half of the couch was all my stuff. The other half of the couch was all my sister's stuff. But anyway, so uh, so as I got older, you know, everything became, became wrapped, and it would be put under the tree. So in the scene in the movie where they wake up next Christmas morning, and they're looking at the press like, Oh, what's for you? What's for you? Oh, that must be mine, whatever. One year, I just, the anticipation was too great, and not knowing what was under the tree was too much for my young mind to comprehend or be able to handle. So one day while my mom was at work and I was home from school, my sister was in her room doing whatever she did because she never paid attention to what I was doing, I peeled the tape off of the end of each of the packages with my name on it to see what I was going to get because I just could not handle not knowing what I was going to get for Christmas. And I would have got away with it, <laughs> but, but like a week before Christmas, my sister is under the tree and something moves and like three of the packages, the tape has come undone and they're all just kind of like, you know, you can tell they've been fiddled with. And my mom was like, what, who did this? And I fessed up and my mother told me that all of my Christmas presents were going back. I was going to get nothing for Christmas that year. She did not. She did not stay true to her threat. I got it all for Christmas, but I will say the most guilt I felt as a kid was that Christmas having all this stuff and like I almost didn't want to play with any of it because I, you know, I just I felt like I cheated uh, to get them. So uh, yeah. Okay, so I come from a long line of Christmas cheaters. <laughs> so there's a very famous uh, story in my family. Of one year, and I, I probably would have been a baby when this happened. Yeah. Uh, my dad got my mom diamond earrings uh-huh. for Christmas, uh-huh. and she would unwrap the box, wear the diamond earrings around the house all day, <laughs> and then rewrap it. And she did that every day. Oh my gosh! Oh my and gosh! And so me and again, remember, I have two older sisters. Yeah. So that, yeah. You know, I, I, this is just coming to me right now. I'm going to ask my my mom will probably do a Zoom Christmas thing with my family, and that that. That million talking that Star Wars story that was probably also because again that would have been like seventy eight seventy nine so I would have been you know uh, six or seven so that would have been the last believing in Santa Claus kind of mm-hmm. time frame uh, because after that you know again if I'm nine my sisters are fifteen sixteen right we I knew every single gift I was getting <laughs> we un, we we unwrapped every single one every single year. Um, unwrapped and then rewrapped is that what you did uh you know i'll have to defer to my sister as i recall uh they would help my mom wrap the gifts and so they kind of devised a way of wrapping the gifts but just barely getting the tape on right 
so that it was really easy. One one side of it would be really really easy to pop off without leaving a mark. Gotcha. And so you could so you could uh, undo the end mm-hmm. and see what it was, and then you could close it back up and put a bigger piece of tape over top of it, and 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 where it would stick better, and no one would gotcha. know. Uh, or just completely rewrapping. We didn't do fancy wrapping, and most of our um, Unlike your wife, who were who colored codes the wrapping paper to the tree, I learned uh, this right, past week. Right, all of our gifts were wrapped in the same wrapping paper, so it didn't so, matter. You know, again, yeah. back in that time frame, and so as long as you still had that wrapping paper, and you know, most boxes weren't very big, right? Um, right. You know, it, it's not like I could wrap up a bicycle, you know, in a in, in something like mm-hmm. you know something like that. So, um, you know, we did that every single gift. I never got another surprise Christmas gift. After that, and I, and you can ask my wife, I've had a really hard time as an adult, not unwrapping stuff myself, mm-hmm. but I get so excited about a gifts that I'm giving her Yeah, yeah. that I will say, don't you want to know what this is? Don't you want to know what this is? You can go ahead and, you can go ahead and open it. You can go ahead and see. I'll yeah. just go ahead and tell you because I, I it, but it's that thrill of wanting to do it early. Yeah. Whereas she and her family growing up, like they were completely Christmas, every, every Christmas, like Christmas morning. Mm-hmm. We started when I was young, one present on Christmas, Christmas Eve, Eve, yeah, and then all of them on Christmas Day. But again, my mom was so bad at wanting to wait mm-hmm. that by the time I was a kid, we opened every gift on Christmas Eve. Everything was done <laughs> on Christmas. On Christmas morning, there was once I knew again. Once I knew there was no Santa, right? Then there was no reason to wait. And so my sisters probably broke it to me. It was just like, look, yeah, this is what's going there's on. No Santa, right. get over it, so we can open stuff tonight. Oh and, my goodness. Uh, and then it was everything on Christmas Eve just became like the family tradition. And then being married and having a daughter, I've had to go back to even just getting my wife, you know, early marriage. Like, well, can we do one on Christmas Eve? <laughs> just getting her to do that was a little bit of a, all right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now uh, I used to have a, a young one. Like, you know, my daughter's yeah. 20, almost 21. Uh, she'll sleep till one o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Day. So, I mean, we won't, there will be no, and even by the time she was in high school, mm-hmm. like she was, when she was a little kid, it probably wasn't the way. But mm-hmm. uh, but by the time she was in like ninth grade, you know, she come get she'll wake up like ten ten thirty. You know, we've already had breakfast, and you know, <laughs> the in laws would be there. They've had coffee, right? And then she would come in. Like, you want to open gifts? Oh, I'm hungry. Let me get some cereal. And then she'd go eat a bowl of cereal. Like it was just um, way to way to bring the magic, Sydney. Way to go. Way to <laughs> yeah. She was just. Well, I think that comes with you know maybe probably being a little spoiled too. That she was like, I, I know. I asked for this, this, and this. Yes, yeah, so I know I'm going to get under there. Right, right. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, the other than when she was little, that magic passed. What about you guys? Are you Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Well, because we were a military family, we moved around a lot. And so trying to be my grandparents, like there was different traditions with each set of grandparents. And so sometimes our Christmas was like the Thursday before, like two days before. Sometimes it was days after just depending on where we were and traveling wise. So we were, we were actually having this conversation with my family a couple, like a couple weeks ago about, you know, I don't have very many like really Christmas morning, quote unquote memories because we were usually on the road Christmas day or we were driving somewhere Christmas day to get to what, you know, the grandparents, whatever. So it's kind of fuzzy. Like I have some memories of doing stuff on Christmas Eve and then some Christmas day, but we would have like whatever our quote unquote Christmas morning was at home. We still did that at home, but it was, like I said, it was, you had all the Santa gifts were already out when we woke up and then we would open the presents that, you know, from mom and dad, from fam, you know, for the immediate family. And then we'd go to each set of grandparents and do the whole, the whole thing all over again. So 
my grandparents never came to our house for Christmas. We were always traveling to wherever they were. So, um, but now with Hannah, Tyra and Hannah have worked out the whole one present on Christmas Eve deal. So, and that's really more for Hannah. You let her have her open her one present Christmas Eve, and then we do everything else on Christmas morning. So, does she get to pick the one, or do y'all pick it for her? I think she picks the one, but we we try to sway her pretty heavily on which one she should open on Christmas Eve. <laughs> right, because you want to. If the kid's like, "Yeah, we get to open one on Christmas," Eve, and then they open the bathrobe, right? You know, they're they're like. Yeah. What? Yeah, you can open. There's the, no hiding. Right. There's no hiding that disappointment. You can yes. open the socks, or you can open, you know, the toothbrushes, you know, whatever, you know, the the non fun or not the the one thing, the big thing you asked for. So, kind of a thing. Did you have a least favorite? Uh, you know, because I was excited to get the robot that I never played with. Right. But did you have a least favorite that you opened, and like there was no hiding that on your face as a child that you were just like, oh, this is. Um, and if you're thinking, I'll, I'll go because I have a very definitive. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't think of one right now. But go, go ahead. Maybe it'll spark my memory. When I was in eighth grade, the middle sister uh, had graduated from high school, so my eighth grade would have been her freshman year in college. Mm-hmm. The older sister, you know, had had sorry, at college and had got married and had a baby. But my the the sister that was that was the middle child was a freshman at college in West Virginia. She was a cheerleader in college. Okay, and her boyfriend was a starting football player uh on the football team mm-hmm. and my sister my sister was pretty cool and she was coming home and she's in college and she's a cheerleader and she's around all the football players <laughs> i live breathe and eat football mm-hmm. in the eighth grade uh i'm the captain of the football team i'm the quarterback of the football team <laughs> i'm all county football player she's coming home she's giving me a gift this is going to be great and I got socks. I got a pack of tube <laughs> socks. And there was no hiding that on my face. Right. And she was like, she had asked mom, well, what does he want? Well, he needs socks. Mm-hmm. And so, she, you know, she didn't have any money. So she spent five, you know, $5 or probably less than that to get me a pack of like eight tube socks. Right. Bring me a dirty t-shirt from the football <laughs> locker room. Wash it and give it to me. That's, that's all I, I would have been over the moon. An actual. Right. Football. Football. Yeah, and she she ended up giving me. I was so disappointed, and I told her I wanted. She could, she had a pair of sweatpants mm-hmm. with the uh, football. It was West Virginia Tech, which is a small school in West Virginia, and uh, she gave me um, a pair. That, like she had a pair of the sweatpants, like from the cheerleaders, mm-hmm. and um, and you know I'm a boy, but I'm significantly younger than her, so you know they would fit me, and so I had those sweatpants for a couple of years. I ended up wearing them with bare paw prints on the buttocks. <laughs> Oh man, oh man! Send pictures. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I wore them outside of the house. There may be a picture somewhere of me with them on, oh. like you can see from the side. But I, that how desperate I was, right? For right. some merchandise. Oh my goodness! And you, I've been reminded that I've reminded her of this several times. You got your little brother mm-hmm. tube socks. Wow! You could have dug up a piece of the sod from the football field right. and brought it home and planted it in our yard <laughs> and been like, "Water that sod and take care of that." That's actual college football right. grass, right? And I would have built a little, a little uh, uh, thing around it, shadow and box, it off, and right. not let anybody step on it, and just oh my goodness, you know, that's the white awesome. socks with the different color, you know, the red Rings. around the top yeah. or the blue around the top, right, right, right. Yeah. Oh man, terrible. Uh, I got my fair, I got my fair share of socks and underwear from grandparents. Um, 
the the only thing that stands out to me, and I can't I can't think of anything that my parents got me that I was like, oh, this is what I got. Like I don't I don't have any I don't have a specific memory of that. Um, but my uncle, um, and I I won't say which uncle just to protect. Not that I think either one of them listens to the podcast, but just for my own uh, personal peace of mind. Um, one of my when I tell the story, he's gonna know which one it is. But anyway, uh, one of my uncles uh, just always seemed to mishear or get me kind of close to what I wanted, but not really. Like I was into Star Wars. Star Wars figures was my life. And the funny thing was me and my, his daughter, my cousin, whenever we meet at my grandparents' house, we would pull out our Star Wars, you know, action figures. And we would, that's, we, we spent all of our time playing Star Wars. Star Wars was our thing. He, I mean, it's like, he knew that, but I think the Star Wars figures were too expensive. And so he found some Star Trek action figures that nobody wanted <laughs> and not even like Captain Kirk main characters like the red shirt side characters so I wow. so one year I got like two or three you know Star Trek action figures and I was like wow what am I gonna do with this and then one year and this is what I was like much I was a teenager at this point and I was getting into like the oldies kind of music and I started to listen I heard some songs from Otis Redding and I was like, man, I really love some, if you can give me some Otis Redding CDs, because that was when I first got a CD player. I was like, some Otis Redding CDs would be really cool to find that music. He misheard, and I got the greatest hits of Ray Charles, four-disc set, which turned out to be a great gift, because I ended up loving Ray Charles, but it wasn't Otis Redding, which would I asked for, so... <laughs> right, I thought you were going to say he got you the Otis Redding 8-track instead of the Say Ray Charles is yeah. out of bed swinging. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, because of that, I learned to really love Ray Charles and got and being a four disc set. I mean, I got a lot of you know a wide variety of his. Country, I had one disc was all of his country western, you know, songs that he did, like the different phases right. of stuff he went through. So it was cool. But but yeah, the the Star Trek figures did not fit well into my Star War, my my Darth Vader Star Wars action figure case. You know, they were a little bit bigger, so they didn't you know fit. So, uh, but yeah. You were trying to uh, sit at the dock of the bay, and you ended up finding out it's not easy being green. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to sit. I wanted to sit at the dock of the dock of the bay, but I had George on my mind instead. So George on my mind. <laughs> but uh, going to the action figures, and and this will be the last thing because we, we got to wrap it up. But uh, going back to the the uh, the wish book or the the Sears J.C. Penny, whichever one we would get, I realized my mom would order stuff online. So one year for Christmas. All of my Star Wars action figures that I got for Christmas morning from them did not come in the case, like the with the picture on the back. When you ordered them from the catalog, it was just the action figure in a little plastic bag, and I was very disappointed that I got the action figure, but I wanted the I wanted the casing, you know, because I think on the back it had like all the action figures of that set. It had right. like different, you know, different things. And I, I got some cool, I don't remember what characters were, but I got like four or five characters, which I'm sure they were much cheaper that way. Um, but I was like, man, I felt like I got cheated because I didn't get the full action figure experience with the, you know, the backing with the picture and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, well, we're wrapping it up. I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays as this has been our Christmas episode about a Christmas story. Thank you, Ron, for being a part of this episode. Thank you, sir. And, uh, Borrow a quote from my mother-in-law's former kindergarten class. Feliz la dida. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us this time. We'll see you next year for season two. This is the season finale of season one of the Ages Fit Flat Fact Podcast. We'll be back 
in January, kicking off season two. So we'll see you then. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy new year, happy Hanukkah, Feliz, la-di-da. La-di-da. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message to the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. That's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback.